hidethingmedia.com. The network, oh, without constraints. Hi everybody and welcome to part five of our six-part series on how to write a book. But before we get there, again, asking you to visit wrongtermemory.com. There's a couple of donation slash link buttons that will definitely help us with hosting costs, basically. Anyway, Colin, how are you, man? I'm good. Yeah, really good. It's been, been a good week and uh, looking forward to get right back into this. Um, as always, uh, Martin is with us to talk about his writing process. How are you, Martin? Very well, boys. Thanks for having me on yet again. You're not bored. Well, at least too bored yet. This, this might, I'll be honest, this might be the the topic that I thought could be most boring. Uh, what are we covering this week, Martin? We're, 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 it is. It's, it's probably the most work-intensive um, it is the most boring, and that's the danger, and that's the editing process. Talking about the editing process, right, a guy who wrote a book, whom his editor should have maybe just, like, control A, so select everything and then just hit the fucking delete button, uh, was Morrissey back in 2015, <laughs> wrote a fiction book, uh, 128 pages, so a big, a big chunky number, um, about a <laughs> 1970s American sprint team. Um, called List of the Lost. My favourite thing to do is get Martin to read some one-star reviews. Before, I'm going to get Colin to read a bunch of them because some of you will know Colin loves Morrissey. But Martin, can you take us away with the reviews from The Telegraph and New Statesman? No problem. Uh, Charlotte Runcie in the Telegraph described the novel as poorly conceived, awkwardly expressed and lazily imagined. Uh, John Niven of the New Statesman responded to critics who wrote that the book may have been improved by a strong editor, opined that asking a decent editor to save the book would have been like <laughs> asking a doctor to help a corpse that had fallen from the <laughs> Empire State Building. Oh, I genuinely hadn't. Like, that might have seemed really planned. I hadn't read those reviews there, and just the fact that he's bringing up an editor really falls into place on this. But, Colin, you've picked out some prime examples of why this book is um, dog shit. Yeah, like, I, I love Morrissey. I've got his face tattooed in my arm, for goodness sake. But he lets himself down yet again here and continues to make it hard to love him. Um, I've got three sections from the book that I've just pulled out, one of which I do actually quite like, but the first two are horrendous. Um, he quotes, whoever put the pain in painting also put the fun in funerals. That's a, <laughs> that's a section from the book. <laughs> oh, what a um, here's uh, Wistful Morrissey. Um, what makes wild bluebells wild and could they ever be tamed? And... The, I like Dan Brown, but this is... <laughs> Dan Brown's like Shakespeare now. The one that I actually quite liked, because it is just pure modesty, is um, his television flickers from commercial to commercial to commercial to commercial, advertising nothing at all that he would ever want or need, yet reminding him that he is nothing and that he will die in debt. Jesus Christ, man. That's a bit below the, the line guardian stuff, isn't it? But... That's not dreadful, that one. There's something oh, no, that, that, I like that one. I've got a review from Amazon. Genuinely awful. I read this book for a laugh. So that, that's, where, <laughs> that's where your starting point is, reading it for a laugh. <laughs> um, knowing the terrible reviews it had beforehand and being a fan, 
huge Smith fan and big fan of his 90s output, defender of his more recent stuff. I don't I don't listen to him, so I don't know whether that guy is off his nut or not. Um, I wasn't prepared for quite how terrible it was, though. I really struggled to finish, and firmly, the worst novel I have ever read. That seems to be a common trope, just calling it the worst. That's obviously subjective, but this guy did not have a have a good time of it. Martin, do you want to do the next two? Like, I purposely put tons of bad reviews in here because I know yeah. how much it hurts Colin. Yeah, that seems fair. Um, terrible prose, so much waffle, goes on unnecessary, ridiculous tangents, inserting his views wherever he can. He cannot write dialogue at all. It's cringeworthy and the language does not fit with the 1970s Boston setting. There is also one instance, with several others like it, where there is five pages of unbroken <laughs> from a character. Should be where there are five pages. Many monologue in the middle of a book. That just seems, considering it's a hundred, hundred and twenty-eight pages to that's a chunk. Yeah, that is a fair chunk of your book. Yeah. Did you ever consider that, Martin? Just putting in a Walter Smith interview, the whole, <laughs> the whole dialogue. Just yeah, that'll <laughs> fill up ten pages. It's, it's a filler, isn't it? It's a filler. Um, just, just commentary. Just yeah. Right, copy and copy all that down, and uh, there's there's a game right there. Yeah, here's another one. His sentence structure is terrible. One sentence meanders for nearly the length of a whole page. <laughs> Jesus. Like you may do that in one breath. That just seems bizarre. One more, Martin, and then we'll get Colin to read the last couple. No problem. Uh, the plot itself is poor, but quite funny as it is bizarre. <laughs> yeah. There's a glowing report. <laughs> right, Colin. Um, don't cry. Yeah, I'll take us home with these. It's clear that there was little to no editing. It would be a tough read as a 15-page short story. <laughs> it's also worth noting that the only quote on the blurb is from Morrissey himself in <laughs> <from> other reviews. <laughs> presumably because they were all scathing. And then finally, read it if you're curious. I want a laugh. Be warned, it's tough going even at its short length. Oh, superb, mate. Like, w- while we're on your favourite... Hello friends, Colin here, the looks, the charm and the brains behind Runter Memory. Just wanted to pop in and interrupt your listing pleasure to let you know about our Patreon and some changes that we've made to it recently. We've now introduced a £1 tier where you get absolutely hee-haw other than the sense of achievement that could only come from supporting two great guys like myself and Jack. We've also reduced the price of the two top tiers by a pound on each of them just because we appreciate Life is a little bit shit just now, and uh, if we can make things a little bit better for people, then we will. So check us out at patreon.com forward slash wrongtermemory, and you'll be able to get early access to shows, ad-free, and lots of bonus content. Person, have you got a favourite book column we've covered uh, Martins and mine earlier in the series? Uh, I do, yeah, and it's it's a very different book to what I normally read. I'm quite into kind of crime thrillers and John Grisham courtroom sort of stuff. That's my kind of go-to. It's very much fiction, in Rankin, that you mentioned earlier. But the book that I read every single year is uh, Down and Out in Paris and London by George Orwell. It's just a beautiful, fascinating book, um, basically about, it's almost like a travel diary uh, written as a, a work of fiction about his time living in the slums of Paris and then moving and living in the slums of London. 
and it's he's the way that he describes this, the imagery and the world he was living in is just it's just amazing. It's so so good. I love it. And even though I kind of know it from front to back, I enjoy reading it every time. It's one I just go back on to every time. I don't read enough books, Jack. I've got a Kindle full of books that I want to read, but I stupidly pick up my phone and I lose an hour in bed reading that rather than reading. But I still make time every year to read this book again. I genuinely only read when I'm taking a jobby now. Like I've got a book in the toilet and that's about it. I'm all about the podcasts and Audible, to be perfectly honest with you. Audible is reading a book. Like you mentioned earlier when I mean, you were talking about books that you you don't seem to kind of classify Audible as reading it's a not book. Reading. It's, like it's literally it's, not reading, it's listening. It's like the opposite of reading, I would say. But you're still taking in a work. You're still listening to somebody's words. It's, it's just a different way of taking in the medium, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not reading. Anyway, but we're not... Again... We'll we'll pop over to Martin about the the editing process. We sort of covered my issues with some grammar and stuff like that. Is your book perfect yeah. in that sense, Martin, or is there mistakes sort of no, sneaked in? A few typos still managed to get through. Um, and here's the learning experience for the first time you, you do it. You don't edit it. Your publisher should uh, provide you with an editor. Um, in my situation I, I submitted my my first text uh, first draft on I think 1st of February and I got the thing back um, mid to late April um, and, and a Word document with, with all these loads of track changes again uh, kind of punctuation issues and, and house style only a few I'm not sure what this is not sure what you mean here uh, and also a lot of uh, uh, typo correction. That's back to me to do my check on it. First check, that goes back. Uh, you then have uh, uh, another version that comes back in, in PDF form, which is now which now looks a wee bit like how your book's going to look, which is quite exciting. And you also have your cover design to, to talk through. I was given three um, options. I'd, I'd bought the the image. Uh, but I obviously left it to the, the, the publisher designers to do that. So so that's going on, and this is into May and, and, and June, um, and you're, you're basically putting these kind of virtual post-its on, nope, that needs to change, and there, there's still loads of typos there. My, the thing I would say is, is patience, because by this time you're very excited. You're, you're close to getting the thing in your hand and actually being ready and to be kind of D-Day. Just take a big breath and start again and go into a room and take however long it needs to go through this and in and, and the kind of detail that it needs. I wish I'd done that, but I was just, I want it, I want it ready, I want it ready now. Uh, I, I'm sure that's fine because, you know, you trust Ed, right? I'm sure that's it's all done. And also, I, I, next time uh, when I, I've got the second draft back, I think I'll give it to someone else and to, to, to proofread the whole thing um, because we read by recognising patterns, right? Um, we, we, we kind of know what's coming up and we, we, we just assume we know what's coming up and if you've written the bloody thing then you absolutely you do see, yep. yeah, yeah you do assume that this is what you meant this is what you meant and also you're kind of sick of reading it you've, you, it's been in your head for, for, for the best part of a year by definition you'll be a terrible editor I am a terrible editor I read too quickly anyway um, so I think I should have and I will next time uh, once we're through two uh, give it to, to someone else um, for a complete 
um, fresh read. Um, it's important to get it right. It's understandable um, that you, there's an indication just to get it published because it's so you can nearly touch it. Um, but yeah, just hold the horses. Yeah, I yeah. think there is a there might be a, a fact out there that any word longer than five or six letters, you you see the first letter and the last letter, and your eyes just guess the middle of it, and that's just the way that we that we read, and especially like you say, it's Martin when it's your own. Like I've not written anything longer than a text since I was at university, mm-hmm. uh, my, my dissertation year. But luckily, um, I knew, I just knew a copy editor, a guy that was a copy editor, and I managed to get him to basically proof my, my stuff for me. And I think it might have been the difference between a, a 2-1 and a 2-2, to be perfectly honest with you, because my whole career in education, I was always between 65 and 70%, that was it. So I think... To make it easy for somebody to look at and read definitely makes a difference in, in your enjoyment because when you are reading a book and there is a typo there, yeah, it jumps out like a hundred miles an hour and once you see it, that's kind of does does detract a little bit from it. Again, not that I've read your books, I don't know how many fucking typos are in it, but uh, there are a couple. I'm I'm, I'm I'm assured there are some in Harry Potter as well, but again, you, we don't know because that's that's how we read. Someone did contact me on Twitter to say, ah, you've spelt Alan McGregor wrong in this, this occasion. Um, I said, thanks for that. Um, maybe focus on the other 140,000 fucking words. I would never go out my way to like tweet somebody, oh, you, you made a spell mistake. That is, um, that's pretty low. It's remarkable. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable, yeah. Some advice here, Colin, I think. Martin kind of covered it, but this was on a blog that I, that I found. Yeah, so Martin covered the first one. Don't bother with self-editing. Your editor will take care of all that stuff, which I think makes sense after listening to Martin. Mm-hmm. What's that, what I think is more interesting is um, most copy editors are just blindly following rules, and the rules aren't even real. And Martin, you mentioned earlier that the rules even change from editor to editor to publisher to publisher, don't yeah. they? I think it was Jack that wrote that. He doesn't like rules for, for language. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. House styles, uh, which yeah, you've never done this. Even uh, the date, uh, I would always have like the 2nd of June. They said, no, no, 2 June. Because there's no need for the ND. And you're like, what? The how? Who, who's, who's agreed this? I missed this memo. I've not seen that in my life. But yeah, it's just, just the way they do it. So and that's, that's absolutely fine. They're the ones producing it. So cool. Um, but yeah, uh, get the text out and they'll tidy it. I'm going to quote uh, Calvin Trillinger to wrap us up here, and I kind of agree with this one because this is a word that I have never used in my, I don't have ever used it in my life. As far as I'm concerned, whom is a word that was invented to make everybody sound like a butler? <laughs> what are your thoughts on the word whom? Because I, like I said, never used it. Never used it in conversation in my life. Oh, I like a bit of whom, um, because it's correct. Uh, but again, <laughs> writing a book, um, I, I don't imagine it would fit the dialogue of Shuggy well, for example. Uh, it has to be in the, uh, the, the kind of correct context, and a non-fiction book should be 
close to academia without being too dry, I guess, uh, would be what the kind of balance you, you're, you're looking to to strike. And, well, rules are rules. So, Can again, you right. then tell me the rule? When should I be using whom? Um, whom does it concern? Or who does, whom it does it concern? Or for whom does this uh, belong? Uh, but why? Belong? Like, I, don't, I just can't wrap my head around that. It. It's another one that I've got a blind spot for. Yeah, but the English language is full of them. They're full of these, uh, and I guess there are more serious infractions than than others. I don't know who who said it. Um, I quite like it though. I, I I like him, but again, you do show him like a the butler. Sun, the, the sun will come up. Thanks very much. <laughs> Sorry, oh dear. Again, Martin, great advice. Thanks for joining us. Uh, no problem. Thank you. As always, Colin. Cheers. Cheers. Right, guys. Speak soon. only the best pods in the best network quite the thing media.com <laughs>